This week's episode is brought to you by that one tweet, which reads as follows. Why watch overtime playoff hockey when you can just snort cocaine while riding a motorcycle out of a helicopter? This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey League. It's a breakaway! McKinnon, pure guts! They got nothing but guts! Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass, and look at the patient, my goodness. Guts all over the place, I can't believe it. And after 22 years, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, I'm Stephanie Locked in the Burgundy Radio for April 15th, 2019. Coming up on the show, the Avs lose, the Avs win, the defensive line that gets interesting, I'm, are, are we completely sure it's Mike Smith? But before we play the loose, gotta introduce you to somebody's voices for the week. Coming out to as usual is Earl Six. What's up, Earl? Hello, friends. Hopefully, your power will cooperate with us. Agreed. And hello to, hello to Jackie. How are you? Um, existing. First things first today: a fast rundown. Avs come out fourth in the draft lottery as New Jersey get the first overall again. Avs lose game one four to nothing. Although it was much closer than that. We'll get into it. Avs win game two, three to two in overtime, though they were reasonably dominant. We'll get into that too. Kale McCarr wins the Hobie Baker Friday, loses in the National Championship Saturday, and signs with the Avalanche Sunday morning. And late Saturday night, the Colorado Eagles secure their own playoff berth as Tucson loses their final game. Busy week. Okay, so obviously the week kicked off with the draft lottery, and all of our Good luck charms didn't work, and the Avs, of course, picked fourth. And um, there's obviously two ways to look at it. Like, we're getting our fourth overall from the disaster year, and Kale McCarr is a pretty good player, so we should be okay. But one thing I wanted to, to touch on was that I think there's a lot of disappointment, not necessarily in not getting Hughes and Kako in particular, but just that that player's not going to be able to help next year. I think that's where more of the disappointment lies rather than the player in particular. And I just want to say that the draft is not for next year. It's for the future. And rather than focusing on missing out and having an 18-year-old help your team, focus on that there's going to be two 20-year-old former first-round picks in Cow and Bowers available that should be able to come in and help the team at some point next year. That's really what the focus should be on if you want help in the coming year. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think think there was a lot of anticipation of having, you know, some ready help um, right out of this year's draft. And I just, you know, I, I haven't watched these guys a ton, but I just, I don't see... You know anyone that that the Avs are going to pick, even if they did get first or second, being a a major contributor next year, and and so, you know, you really are planning for a player like this to be a major contributor in two or three years. Um, you know, re- regardless of when they actually start putting on the Avalanche uniform for games. And obviously, Cowden Bowers aren't fourth overall, but they are first round picks. They're not chopped liver either. So there's excitement in that, at least. Yeah. 
but you know if you want instant help there's only one way to get it and we know that how that happens and it it doesn't often go well so. <laughs> it was just obnoxious <laughs> to see some of the snap reactions be like oh you know everything is lost it's all wasted it's like no yeah <laughs> it's not yeah it's still it, gonna be a pretty good player yeah uh, the one thing I will say about it is if if you are a, a part of the tinfoil hat crowd, having New Jersey pass us again, <clears throat> um, and also having the Rangers and Chicago Blackhawks pass us this year, um, you know, if, if you like conspiracy theories, it, it, it falls perfectly into that if you wanted the, to. There's a few other ones that the draw for two and three are almost identical combinations with one number off. That and none of the combinations one was drawn, which I believe that comprised many of the Avalanche's picks, had one the number one in them. If if you want to get the tinfoil on, that's where you would focus. I, I mean, don't necessarily I'd... think it's rigged, but yeah, I mean they have an auditor there. That I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, mean I've got, but, I've got I don't two think takes. it's rigged, but. It... On the, on the draft lottery. <laughs> One of them is that it's bullshit. Like, teams that were close to the playoffs should not be in the draft lottery. Like, the, it's a 31-team league, 16 make the playoffs, make it the bottom, like, eight. It, yeah. it is ridiculous. Like, I understand drawing for number one. But I think drawing for two and three has become ridiculous because, what is it, three years in a row now you have a high team that, that, that gets two or three at Chicago and you had Carolina, Dallas. Yeah, who are all I think past the bottom ten right. that won one of those slots, and then you have a team like LA who is just terrible and desperate for talent. Now they're picking fifth. It just sucks that you get bumped back three spots. Then yeah, that either only yeah. Arizona too, right? Either only it, draw it, for one, or say that you can only move up X number of spots if you win a lottery. Yeah, I mean, if you if you go on the theory, this was a, a, an answer to Edmonton winning the lottery every year. Um, all it's basically done is end up hurting teams that actually needed the talent. So, you know, I I, I think I, I don't like it. I, I'd like to see something where it, it doesn't involve as many teams, and you you have le- you don't have the chance to move back three spots. That just seems like a, a little bit too much. Um, you know, like if if, if some team you know, around 12th or 10th or whatever moves up, then that should not displace teams that are in the top five. Right, exactly. And, you know, and secondly, you... the way they do it is not even remotely transparent. Like, yeah, <laughs> even, even if they did it live on camera with every GM watching, none of us would have a fucking clue what was going on because they draw random combinations of numbers like what, yeah, well, what I mean, happened it, to the it, old ping pong balls with your team's logo on it? It's I mean it's the same as your local pick four if you have a lottery in your state. So I mean I can kind of see that, but they released uh, the combinations ahead of time, I think, in the McDavid draft. And I believe it's the same ones they use. Like they slot all the number ones first. So all the combinations, for example, like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, five, those are all given to like the the team with the best odds, and then so forth. Well, the the odds yeah. are all like bizarre decimal point numbers because there's so many teams who have odds for first overall. But if if you kind of clean up some of that bullshit angle of it, then it's a lot easier to say, oh well, this team has more ping pong balls, and this team has a little bit less, and this team has a little bit less, and then you can do it transparently, 
and roll it on camera. And we can see that, like, all this, you know, the league's trying to help Chicago bullshit, which it's not, because they wouldn't have picked third if they were trying to help them. They'd pick one or two. Then that goes away. Yeah. Oh, and it's like, but... if you're trying to prevent Edmonton from winning in this system, you're giving them three chances of winning one, two, or three. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you know, they, they've got I... a problem looking for us, or they have a solution looking for a problem, is, is what some of this is. Well, the thing is, is I, I think from their standpoint, it's great because, I mean, this is something that Avs fans have been talking about, you know, basically since the day of the, the Matt Duchesne trade many months ago. Um, so it's, it's you know, it's something, there's a there's a buzz about it that has long-term legs. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think that's that great just because it's not really on-ice product related. So it is what it is, but it... it, it it does keep things in people's minds, I guess. I don't know. Well, sure, it was nice to have... teams in the conversation. Like, it, yeah. it was nice to have another pick to root for, but then it became stressful because <laughs> you're hoping they finish last, and then you'd say that was all for naught, and I was saying, no, I'm glad that we were at least guaranteed fourth. If, if we were in the position where then we were guaranteed sixth or seventh, that's where we would have ended up, and that would have been a, a difference, so... Yeah. At the end of the day, ending up with fourth overall picks again is pretty cool. It, it's going to be a very good player someday for us. Yeah, it's but fine. there was definitely way too much focus on winning and the Jack yeah. Hughes hysteria and everything. Yeah. So at least we know now. Yeah. And we'll see who they end up picking, and there will definitely be a time to uh, have a look at some of the players that may be gone fourth overall but uh it's it's april not june so let's let's talk about april hockey um before we go before we go hard here i just want to ask if i told you on wednesday the flames were rolling with mike smith and goaltending had been a major story in this series what would you have said (laughs) i would have figured he would have been bad (laughs) Because I would have said, cool, Colorado's up 2 nothing in this series. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, a, a lot of people made the, the point about goaltending being sort of, you know, A, a big story in the series, and B, an advantage for the Avalanche. And, I, I mean, I, I think Grubauer has played fine, and I don't think he's done anything to hurt the club. But, you know, it's, it's Mike Smith it has has been more of the story as far as playing in the net. I guess I probably would have assumed it would have meant either group hour was amazing or awful. (laughs) (laughs) You wouldn't have connected it to Smith at all. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on Thursday, Colorado opened up game one with a really nervous kind of unwilling to sell out because you might make a mistake kind of energy. And Calgary matched that perfectly. It was a real stinker of a playoff game. Matthew Kachuk got under the Avs' skin early, and Eric Johnson was the first to pay the stupid tax when he got the stick into his jaw while they were jostling. EJ, you gotta be better than that. Avs killed that off, then drew three straight power plays of their own, which produced nothing at all. Nothing at all. Colorado chased the game after that, starting halfway through the second. Second? The second? Starting halfway through the second as Andrew Mangiapane embarrasses Johnson, Jost, Sidorov, and Grubauer for an unassisted goal. 
Then Kachuk gets a tip in on the power play. Backlund scores on the power play. And Kachuk adds the empty netter almost immediately after Grubauer headed to the bench. 4 to nothing, your final. But the Avalanche only allowed one goal, 5-on-5. Five five. And Mike Smith had 26 saves unblemished. Tell me your thoughts on this one. What went right? What went wrong? For me, this game was lost with the three consecutive power plays they didn't convert on. I think that's... I also I did feel like the game was it was evenly matched, but they needed a goal. They needed to score first, and when you're given an opportunity like that in, in the playoffs, you have to convert. You have it if you're not breaking through five on five. If if the opposing goaltender is doing well, you need to take advantage of a power play, and when you don't, it swings momentum the other way. And surprise, surprise, then they score. Yeah, I. I agree that that stretch of the game basically determined it, even though that's not when the scoring happened. Um, you know, Calgary, I, I think both teams came out really, you know, like Steph said, like not trying to make a mistake, not not trying to let in the early goal by doing something stupid. Um, but then Calgary, you know, I mean, EJ did something stupid, but then Calgary did three stupid things in a row, and the Avs couldn't make them play pay or... You know, they, they kind of had momentum during that stretch, and even at 5v5, they weren't able to make anything happen. And <clears throat> sort of af after that energy dissipated early in the second, the, the Flames kind of took over for the rest of the, the game, you know, the part of it that actually mattered. And you, you just sort of felt like right away you knew that was a, a big missed opportunity. Yeah, the first period had three power plays, and the shots were seven to six. Yeah. If you're Colorado and you have two power plays with seven shots, you're feeling you're feeling good about that. But if you have a period with seven shots, you're feeling like we probably could have done a little bit more offensively. If you have a period yeah. with two power plays and a total period total of seven shots, <laughs> that's just boring. It is. And... <clears throat> I mean that that's part of why this game was so terrible was how low event the the start was and it it really set the tone for the rest of the game and I I don't think that was Calgary imposing its will I don't think that they wanted to have a low event game either because they're usually pretty high event so I could see I, I them think... trying to feel things out because they weren't in the playoffs last year they don't have a ton of playoff experience so I could see them trying to start out and be a little cautious i don't know i mean bill peter's philosophy is generally you know suppression by massive volume of shots so <clears throat> you know I, th I think when the flames aren't generating massive volumes of shots they're not the ones determining the, the course of play really um you know that that just felt to me like neither team wanted to take this game by the scruff of the neck and, and throw it around a bit it just you know i don't know it was just sort of it was directionless for a long time it was, it was very conservative it was very defensively minded i i really felt like for about you know 35 minutes of this game colorado did a, a good job of limiting what calgary could do but calgary also limited what the abs could do right back i mean it was and and we talk about mike smith's shutout and we talk about how you know obviously a 26 save shutout isn't nothing but uh 
He made some good saves, but it wasn't it wasn't the the legend performance that maybe some made it out to be. Maybe some broadcasters made it out to be, right? Um, yeah. But it, it, this Mike Smith is a dramatic flair goaltender. If he makes a glove save, <laughs> he's gonna make it look like it was going in if he hadn't dove for it. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. He, he's making routine saves and then flashing the leather and falling on his face. Like, come on. That's that wasn't yeah. that difficult of a save. <laughs> come on. And yeah. can we talk about how Mike Smith has the ugliest mask? <laughs> if I have to keep looking at that over the next week. <laughs> Yeah, that ear mask? There's, like, nothing on it. It's just red. And then it just says flames and, like, these tiny lettering on the side. And then there's ears on the sides. It's the Mike Vernon mask. (laughs) There's literally nothing on it except ears. It's easily Uh the the weirdest, most surrealist, and also worst mask mask that I've seen. Maybe ever. It's so bad. I I would rather see the old, like... Who was the Ducks goalie who just used the clean all-black mask? I'd rather see that than this disaster. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, I, think I had to bring they're... that up. We're talking about Mike Smith. I just, I can't get that image out of my head. <laughs> they, sh- they zoom in on it 30 times every game. So, well, their narrative sorry. is going back to 1989, and it, that's the, the uniforms that they're wearing, and that's why... Sure, I get that. I Vernon's I know... mask, so... I know they're wearing the throwback uniforms. That's fine. But it's still ugly. I don't like their color of those uniforms either. It's a, it's a little bit like, it's a little bit too saturated. Not a fan. Yeah. For, yeah. Very red. But this game <clears throat> was also, you know, really encouraging in a few ways. Because like like I said, Colorado were able to really prevent the Flames offense from, from doing what they wanted to do. Um They'd only allowed one goal five on five. And they definitely shut the top line Gaudreau down. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, this game was lost on special teams. Mm-hmm. Um, the Avs gave up two power play goals, um, and they did not score on their own power play. Yep. And <clears throat> I, I, you know, I don't think the special teams battle is one that the Avs can win. And not that, I mean, Calgary's power play is really nothing special either. Uh, I think both teams are, are really awful there, but you know the big difference so far is that Calgary manages to score on theirs, and the Avs don't, and probably won't. Uh, I liked your fun fact. This is maybe where you could <laughs> bring up oh, your yeah, fun fact. We we went through some fun facts about the Avs power play in the playoffs. The last Avalanche player to score a, a five-on-four goal was Nick Holden in Game Seven against Minnesota back in 2014. I saw him (laughs) I saw him in one of the games between San Jose and Vegas like trying to score the Nick Holden goal doing his little creeping in from behind (laughs) thing I was like is that that is that's Nick Holden (laughs) that is Nick Holden still kicking around Um, yeah so now it's I I think we're up to um, nine games that the Avs have not scored a a five on four goal they did score two power play goals last year against Nashville but they're both five on three yeah, that's a different situation. That's pretty right. crazy that they went six games and did not score one power play goal last year. Yeah. Um, so Probably it's just an issue. Yeah. And I, re- you know, I went into that series last year thinking the Avs had a 
big advantage on special teams. You know, they, I was like, the power play is wonderful. The PK is top five in the league. And it, you know, we ended up getting crushed in both. So <laughs> yeah, we had some goaltending um, issue there. Right. So I'm going into this with the thought that as long as the, as long as special teams do not lose this series for the abs, I think they have a good shot at winning the, the series overall, but you know, Take we'll get into the last night's game in a bit, but you know last night's game it was basically even Steven, so right. that gave the Avs a chance to win. Game one, they lost it. So I definitely in game one was uh, I mean obviously apart from the from that one goal that random fourth line rookie puts in against the entire team, I feel like Tyson Jost <laughs> has continued to just play better and with basically every game and i'm discouraged that he's stuck with you know the single digit ice timeline right now he deserves better and he deserves better line mates and that's all i have to say about that i think i heard bender say something like he wanted to create a a fourth line that could match calgary's fourth line like calgary has a real fourth line of like actual hockey players so he wanted to do his best to create like an actual fourth line, and then that's why Jost is centering that line. And is that why it has Gabe Bork on the wing and not Svenander Ghetto? <laughs> well, when did, we'll he, when did that he see time. that? Because they didn't even use the fourth line last night. They just used um, those it, guys it was, as extras. It could have been before. It, it certainly wasn't post game. I haven't heard. Or no, I did, but it wasn't post game. I think it was either the morning skate yesterday or after the practice on. Whatever day that was, I can't think anymore. Sorry, guys. Those, those guys honestly had maybe two shifts together last night. So <laughs> they did not. Th- that line was not used as a line. But yes, he actually did cite his thinking on the creation of the fourth line. Yeah. Well, it's a weird He's line. A lion. <laughs> it's a real weird <laughs> line. And it and, has uh, been all year. Oh, yeah. It's always been the Island of Misfit Toys down there, but. Tyson Jost has definitely earned his way to, to play a little yeah. bit more. And um, and maybe we can talk in a minute about who maybe have earned their way to play a little bit less. But I would yeah, I agree. Like to Jost, see, uh, like to see Jost Sven draw in. Better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially since he had a strong end of the season and he scored the Guts goal last year. So you should want to play him in, in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, I I think that Sven would be a great guy to have in the lineup just because I think his personality is something that would match up with, you know, sort of the <clears throat> the the douchiness that they have in Calgary with it with several of their players. I, I think that you know that that's something that the Avs kind of lack, especially with him out of the lineup. So I I think it'd be a good idea to get him in somehow. Any other final thoughts on Thursday? No, I, I mean, I, I think I, I think the Avs probably learned a lot about it, and, and we'll discuss this when we get to the next game. But you know, it, it was a it was a bad game, but there was a lot you could learn from it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot else to say about it either, other than you know, neither team really wanted to to make the first mistake, and the special teams decided it. Like that's really the whole story of the game. Yeah, pretty much. So, late on Saturday, wee hours of Sunday morning if you live in Newfoundland, game two starts and it's immediately just like, oh, this is better. 
this is playoff energy. So buckle up because there's a lot here and I'm still leaving out like three-fourths of, of the game. Colorado took it to Calgary early and didn't let up. The 39-37 shot total is pretty deceptive to my eye because in all situations, Colorado had 84 shots at net. It's just that Calgary blocked 29 of those and another 16 missed the target. You look at the yeah. Avs with a score just, of course, north of 62%, but this is the playoffs. Nobody cares about Corsi. They care about goals. And Matt Nieto would be the one to deliver shorthanded. Colorado had no less than three chances before this goal, and right before it, like six skaters total were unable to find the puck sitting on the ice near Grubauer for... It felt like hours, friends. I don't know how long it was. Colorado had a power play soon after that, as Mike Smith hilariously played the puck over the glass like a fan who called his mom's a hamster. And after a little of two-minute shift from the second unit for some reason, Derek Broussard takes his third penalty of the night. We'll get there. Whee! And Calgary tie it up <laughs> on the ensuing power play. Grubauer and Smith were both awesome in this game. Smith more so, because he had way more volume. And we knew it was going to take a weird one to break the stalemate, but it's Calgary who get the magic bullshit as a weird bouncing puck finds its way to Sean Monahan, who spins and slaps at it and it goes in somehow. But shortly after Grubauer vacates the net again, it's JT Comfer, 877 goal now, to tie it up and send us into, oh god, overtime. Colorado, but it's 5v5 overtime. It's 5v5 <laughs> overtime, but Colorado have not scored a 5-on-5 five five goal in this series through six periods of hockey. Ian Cole cross-checks James Neal, who takes a swan dive into the boards and regrettably does not break himself, but the Avs kill the penalty without that much trouble, to be honest. And after Sam Bennett tries to tear Sam Girard's heads, head off, but misses, and only tears his arm off instead, Grubauer makes a spectacular save, Miko Rantanen finds Nathan McKinnon loose for a breakaway, he puts a top corner, Avs win. What a game. You talk now. There was, <clears throat> there was a lot to unpack here. This beginning of the game is what I expected at the beginning of the game, of, of the first game. Um, I think that the coaching staff was far too conservative with sort of their preparation for this series. Um, when you're in a series where you're the the big underdog when you're the number eight seed taking on the conference champs, you can't just play your game, no matter how well you played down the stretch. I mean, you've got to come out with something a little bit different. You, you've got to be able to give the other coach uh, something to think about and you can't really play conservative. So I loved the start. I, I thought they immediately set the tone and, they inflicted their style on Calgary, which is something they so very rarely do to any team. Colorado and, had seven shots in the first period of Game 1 and 15 in the first period of Game 2. Right. And the control that they gained there, I, I think, really lasted the entire game. I, I, Calgary had sort of two little runs they went on. One was sort of early in the second period, and the other was at the end of regulation, and sort of carried into the beginning of overtime. But that was it. Other than those two small, maybe three-minute stretches, the Avs dominated all night. Calgary crushed overtime, and Colorado won on a counterpunch. Um, but that's it, an awful picture of the game at large, because we can maybe talk about how they dominated, dominated this game, but uh, Colorado dominated this game. <laughs> like, it was, it was all Avs for... At least 55 minutes. Yeah. 
Well, you mentioned earlier the, the Corsi that they had and in the playoffs, it doesn't matter, which I agree. But especially against a team like Calgary and, like you said, their coaching staff really wants them to shoot, shoot from everywhere. And then for them to not hold that possession advantage, I think uh, tells a lot there. Yeah. I mean, I don't think at any time, either in this game or, you know, really much in the first game, even though you can see stretches where where Calgary kind of <clears throat> controlled play in the first game, that they really weren't. Um, this series has really been... It, it's been dominated by the Avalanche, whether, they, whether they're being bad or good. It, it's not a lot of Calgary doing something and... <clears throat> that influencing play. They're completely reactive. So, um, what was interesting about, about this game and about the, the shot numbers, the, re- the reason that I bring those up, you, you don't get, th- let's do some math here, 45 shots off target if you're shooting from good places to shoot. Yeah. <laughs> so, Colorado had the puck a lot. They also had it on the yeah. perimeter a lot. Yeah, their their heat map is is very hot above the circles. And, and um, that, that's because they continue to do what they've done all season, which is work the puck down low and then skate back out and find a defender to pass to. Yeah. And I, I'm fine with that because even though that's really unproductive, it, it, it does prevent the other team from doing bad things at the other end of the ice um, suppression by possession. Um, but, you know, like I think one of the keys we all came up with after the first game is that if you don't get Mike Smith moving side to side, he's going to stop damn near everything because he's big and he may be a bit of, he puts a lot of drama into his saves, but he does cover the net very well. And if, if you're square up to him, it's not a great chance. We saw that on, on conference six, or six on five goal, where finally Colorado get a pass through the seam and, and yeah, the puck kind of plinks around a little bit, but they, that's how they opened the, the net up was they slid a, a pass across the seam. They didn't just go from the point and try to, you know, get it off the glass. Cause you shot wide because again, they didn't, um, you know, just try to force things that weren't necessarily there. They actually worked the puck across, and it was like they actually were trying to score. The uh, yeah, the power play could learn a lot from that goal. Cough. <laughs> but it's hopeless, so who cares? Because um, I'm yeah. not calling it the power play anymore, friends. I'm calling it the momentum-killing <laughs> power nap until they prove me wrong. <laughs> It's really weird, too, because obviously the AB scouting report is to shoot high on Smith. Um, and it's odd because, all right, you know, we make fun of the point, but <clears throat> their scouting report that they release publicly, which which is probably a load of hooey, but whatever, their, their scouting report on both Riddich and Mike Smith was to go five hole and no one's shooting low. So, you know, maybe they're using... Um, double reverse psychology and they saw that point thing and they're like oh man I know those guys read the point because it's such a great <laughs> website and so let's just do the opposite but 
you'd think after 84 shots at the net that all go high. <laughs> you might try low every once in a while. Oh, they weren't all high. Sometimes, I know. Sometimes, sometimes they were wide. Yeah. Shout out to Eric Johnson who took two shots on one shift. One was about five foot wide to the left and the other was about eight foot wide to the right. Yeah. Which I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more too. Um, so let's talk about Derek Broussard's three penalties because I have hated him in games one and two, and it's not because of these penalties. Yeah. Um, although, you know, that's another good reason to hate him too. <laughs> yeah. He's been really, I mean, he's who he is. Um, you know, he's floaty in the defensive zone. Um, he kind of whiffed on a couple of good chances in, in game one. Um, got a little better on that in game two. So there, there is that. Yeah, game one, it was like um, you hit the ice behind the puck instead of the puck. Twice, yeah. On one power play. Chili dipped it. Come on. Yeah. I know. Um, it's not a sandwich. But that's... Still. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's really struggling. And it's it's tough to watch just because... All right, he, I mean, we all saw what Andrew Ghetto did down the stretch. And he's basically a guy that's sitting because there isn't room in the lineup right now. And you, you see a, a veteran like Broussard who gets to play like that every night and, and have no worries whatsoever that he might be scratched. And it's just, you know, it's very frustrating as a fan. You know, when you see a guy like Sven who did score the guts goal and was playing very well down the stretch and, you know, his personality would really help the team out. And, you know, you get to see a dude take three penalties like that and, flub chances and generally hurt the team every time he's out there. Let's talk about these penalties. So penalty number one, he's Derek Broussard's role on five V five offense seems to be stand in front of the crease and get abused. That, that, yeah. that appears to be what his job is. And so he was doing that and he gets kind of shoved into the net. And so Mike Smith being Mike Smith decides to just, you know, throw everything he can into Broussard's face and Broussard's like trying to, fight back a little bit sure but also trying to free himself so he can go back check and for some reason that's a matching minor okay. yeah okay. and we know smith freaks out so i like this strategy kind of you know it's like trying to get mike smith upset is is a good strategy because he you know he'll go bananas um yeah, he'll get a little but... throwy <laughs> but you know, I didn't have that much of a problem with that goal because I figured, you know, that that's just sort of an, an opening thing. The refs are trying to warn each team that it's going to be one guy next time. Uh, unfortunately, the two next times, it was one guy and it was Broussard. Yeah, so the second <laughs> one, um, he'd, he'd kind of been in a puck battle and he just kind of takes a little throwaway swat at a Calgary defender stick. The Calgary defender goes, you're supposed to hold a stick? No one told me this. And it just goes flying and slashing his goal. Like, so that's a really, really unnecessary slash. Yeah. And also, hold on to your stick. Like, ugh. That, that's what we're calling? Okay. Penalty number three. Uh, so he kind of Which is gets, better known as the Golden Sombrero. As, yes. <laughs> he, he finishes the, the penalty hat trick by getting <clears throat> skated through by, was it Giordano? somebody in terrible red and uh they, they're trying to go through him to get the puck they don't make it they fall down and that's that's now tripping yeah so he's got himself a little bit of bad luck with with getting three calls against in one game 
Right. That's but I want it to you be make clear. some of your own luck. <laughs> I, I want it to be clear that I'm not like I'm I'm not ready to you know bring down the house on on Broussard's spot in the lineup is net negative because of these penalties. It it's because his role on offense has been you stand here and take abuse and then when the puck does come to him he more often than not passes it to a defender at the blue line who is not there <laughs> yeah i'd say his best attribute is shoot other than that you do kind of wonder about the pro scouting on this one because you know the style bender likes the one that's hard on pucks hard on the boards can you at least find someone like that someone that can help set the tone if you if you want to bring in a guy for leadership reasons and experience in this and that you want someone that can help set the playoff tone at least and it's just another guy that used to be good that used to play for columbus yeah and you know the tough thing is you know not only he's basically hoovering minutes from a, a bunch of guys um you know and again they're they're not gonna you know they they can't really reduce his minutes much. He's not really playing that much. Um, you know the I'll I'll go on a rant on this later, but you know with the usage that that Bednar has for the forwards right now, you know he's not in a position where he's taking up a lot of minutes. But, but you know, there are guys that are playing less that probably have more to give. They probably should go to the fourth line at this point. If they had a fourth line, yeah. Um, and then they can bring up Tyson Jost, who definitely deserves better. Um, on the plus side of this game, Nathan McKinnon, while he was kind of kept to the outside a little bit, he was still pretty overwhelming for the Flames in this game. He just missed wide a lot. I, I yeah. want to think he had like a dozen shot attempts and almost half of them were wide. So he's he's trying to get his corners. I guess what a goal scorer does, it's fine. Um, you'd like to see him have a little bit more success actually getting it on net though. Like if you're trying to pick corners and you're missing wide, just go ahead and shoot at the goalie. It's fine. <laughs> just get it on net, please. It's, on on net is better than around and out. Let's go. I was glad yeah. to see him get the overtime goal. I think he needed that. I think the team needed like a star moment. You know, it's it's great, and they need contributions from guys like. Yeah, scoring shorthanded, Comfort scoring the tying goal and all that, but you need like your star to say this is it and I'm making a difference. That goal actually reminded me a lot of I believe it was game five in the series against Minnesota in his rookie year. I think he scored the overtime goal in that game. That I'm was, just going off memory. That was his second overtime winner, so probably. Yeah. And I think it was scored in a similar manner, sort of a break, a semi breakaway. And so I think, I think that was the perfect way to end it. Also, yeah. the second assist of the, on the night for Miko Ransonen, who's back from injury and looked pretty off in game one, and has been kind of getting it back together. He's yeah, not, he's I, not been I as strong on the skates as you'd like, but he's not been bad. Yeah, I I picked him at about sixty percent for for game one. Maybe he's up to about seventy or seventy five percent now. Um, I I don't think he's <clears throat> I don't think he's going to get back to a hundred percent unless you know 
he doesn't take much abuse and the abs end up in the conference finals or something <laughs> like that. But, um, I, I, you know, he's definitely to the point now where he's not falling down like he did every shift in the first game, uh, in the first period. And yeah, it was like, Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just like, Oh man. And I, he just still looks really hurt. Like he can't even stand up out there. This wasn't like, you know, regular old Miko falling down all the time. This was like, he looked like he couldn't stand up. Um, so I, I think he's to the point where he can definitely contribute a lot. And, you know, those were two big assists he had in this game. So that yeah, was that was great. a really nice pass in overtime. Yeah. Um, going back to Mac for a second. I, I agree that that's, you know, I, I think he needed that goal just to sort of get it out of the way, you know, sort of not have to worry that he hadn't scored in two games, that kind of thing. I, I think it would have weighed on him if he didn't have any points going back to Denver. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But he has been very productive in this series. I mean, he leads he leads the Avs in shot attempts with – I think he's got 24. He's got 12 shots on goal. And if you go to his counterpart on the Flames, it's Backlund is their most productive in those areas. And Backlund has 10 attempts and five shots on goal. So, I mean, he's he's better than that by a large factor. So In game two, McKinnon had nine shot attempts and six scoring chances. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he, he's been racking up a lot of <clears throat> good numbers without you know, the results that we're looking for. Um, but he finally got it. And also in absolute boss mode has been Gabe Landeskog. Oh my god. That If, if that dude's on the ice, he <clears throat> does have the puck, alright? Like, that's all there is. Yeah, he was plus 30 minus 4 um, after three periods last night. I mean, that's, that's just ridiculous. ridiculous. It is. Yeah. Like, that's you know, beyond in, in, dominant. In, in, that is something else. Yeah, on ice for 30 shot attempts, and he had, I think, just under 19 minutes. So it's like the uh, when he's on the ice, the Avs are, are getting a, a shot on goal. Um, I can't do math, but whatever. Like awesome. one and a third per minute. The the Landeskog-McKinnon-Kerfoot line last night, this game two, was plus 14, minus two in shot attempts. Um, which still only half of those shots were unblocked, but, um, they did account for, you know, a lot of, you know, time on ice, a lot of scoring chances for, they didn't give up a scoring chance against, um, like they were sick. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, I mean, and I, I haven't really been watching who they've been matched up with more. Is it? Is it you know? Is it more the backland line or more Monahan's line? I, th I think it sort of goes back and forth. <coughs> they faced Mark Giordano for thirteen minutes and Michael Backlund for ten minutes. This is McKinnon specifically. So that's yeah. that's the pair and the line that that Calgary has chosen to match up. Um, yeah, and we'll see what happens in that. In, uh, in Denver if if Bednar decides, yeah, I'm fine with that matchup. I can't see why it wouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we've talked about the stars that we're super happy with, let's uh, let's let's get a little bit anxious. I hope Sam Gerrard's not dead. Yeah, um, I'm that, preparing that would be... for the worst. <laughs> 
He's a I, tough I, guy, but he is. that looked like the Kamenev hit, and that's not good. Yeah, it's... You never know about end-of-game hits. A lot of times, there's just not enough time to come back, but I'm I'm fearing the worst. I think if, if it was just an end-of-game hit, and they didn't have time to, to get him another shift, then you'd think that Bednar would say something like, he's going to be fine. And not, I haven't I talked know. to the trainer. <laughs> I honestly I don't wish, think he knew. If he really is hurt, just tell us. It's just... They're not going to. I know. <laughs> so, that's why I'm pretty much assuming. Just forget it. Yeah, we'll find out if, if he's he, in the lineup on Monday night. If okay. he's on the ice again this year, then... Then it's a miracle. Did cool. I mean, look at, look at what happened with Z, though. I mean, we thought he was as dead or even worse dead than Sam, and one game off, and boom, he's back in the lineup. So, they have magic shoulder potion. <laughs> he took a bath in, in pure freezy spray, and he was fine. Yeah. <laughs> the magic shoulder potion will work. Well, we'll Sam's have... best asset is his feet anyway, so as, as long as the shoulder is, you know, attached... He can still have an impact. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, his stick skills are big, but yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we, may, I we may see him at 50% in the series. Who knows? But we uh, also are going to be adding a piece that can maybe help fill in some of that skill gap. And we'll get there in a second. But first, let's go ahead and do Stars and Scratches for games one and two. Um, let's do Stars first. I what I'm giving got? mine to Sam posthumously. Posthumously. <laughs> <laughs> I to me he's been good and what I saw of yesterday, I also saw how he did in the shot share. I I think he's done well. So I'm giving my star to Sam. I think we gotta give one to uh, Gabe Landeskog. I think that's like yeah. Obvious, given the yep. conversation we just had, given the game two that he had, which was just monstrous. Yeah, I think Gabe and McKinnon definitely get auto stars for that. Um, I'd I'd like to give one to Matt Nieto, um, and it's not just because I picked him in our staff predictions to be the role player that steps up. Um, in game one, he and Bork were actually the penalty killers that were on the ice and did not get scored on. So, you know, that's good to see. And he scored the first goal of the series. So um, he's not getting used much. I, I think they could actually bump up his minutes a little bit. And, we'll, you know, I'll get into this in a little while. But <clears throat> um, there, there are a few guys you can say that about. But I, I think he's playing pretty well. And he has some more to give if they want to give him some more time. Okay. I'll go ahead and start the scratches with the with the one that everybody keeps yelling about. Eric Johnson has been very, very bad in sure the series. Has. He's given the puck away. The puck won't stay on the stick in the offensive zone. When he does take a shot, it's a mile wide. What's going on here? I mean, it's a real tough to unpack, I think. Like, he I'm been... just hoping he's injured. <laughs> see, he hasn't been the EJ we're accustomed to all season long. But yeah. this is this is more so. I, I, I don't know. I, I 
I like to think it's not just he's getting old and breaking down. Injury is tough because they probably all are injured in some way at this point. So yeah. it's really hard to give someone the injury waiver. A lot of it does seem to be also be decision making, and I think that's maybe the most disappointing. Yeah, and you know the bad thing about that is like his decision making is probably based on how good he he you know has played basically until this year and he he's not able to execute and you know ha- hasn't been able to adapt his decision making to his current abilities and that's given him some problems well, he's he's seen his ice time cut a little bit too like a 5v5 Def- in game 2 yeah. he had less ice than both sam and Jer- and uh, Barry and Zadorov at, at yeah. 15 minutes 1549 even strength and game 1 was about the same yeah, cause... I I definitely have been noticing that. That's, I think it, it was a little bit that way at the end of the season, and it has kind yeah, of, it's been like that for a while. Yeah, it, and you back then you were kind of thinking maybe they were just trying to rest him a little bit, try to get him ready for the playoffs. You know, whatever you could think of as a reason to cut his ice time. But obviously, at this point, when you're not saving for anything then it, it does become curious, which is funny because I know that we've complained that we don't like to see him overplayed. So that part's good, but now it's almost like he's getting underplayed. And you know that they don't want him to play like 15 minutes even strength. That's pretty surprising. So, I mean, he did play, I forget, I think the game they clinched, he played over 26 minutes or something like that. Um, one of mm-hmm. one of the games down the stretch, but you know, oftentimes in the last, a lot of them have been lower. Yeah, right. In the last eleven games, like he was, he was first maybe once or twice out of that. I mean, it was usually Barry Z or Sam in there, if not two or three of those names. Because after game one, after the game he had in game one, I thought you know maybe the most impactful thing this team can do to you know get their offensive pressure a little bit better would be to play Eric Johnson less. So let's go see how many minutes he played. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> He's already not playing very many minutes. Yeah. And I, I that, that's the part where it's kind of baffling is, yes, he's not playing very much, but yet you always see him making plays that you don't want to see. So Yeah, it's not helping. <laughs> I guess the way to reconcile that is he's fairly obvious when he's out there. <laughs> That's not a good thing. <clears throat> yeah, not great. So let's scratch some other guys. Uh, Broussard. That's yeah, the easy one. Already had that conversation. Next. Um, I'm going to scratch Jared Bednar. And I know we do this every week, but... <laughs> I have found his personnel usage extremely bizarre um, for this, you know, both games really. Um, you know, I, I I know we want to see Sven in there, and we don't want to see Bork. And well, neither does that's... Sven because Bork played three twenty-two at <laughs> strength in game two. Nobody wants to dress him, and that's you know, literally... why do we do that? Why why do we do such things? He, he played literally three two two for those of you who know what that means. Yeah, he's, you know, having Bork in the lineup and playing three minutes twice. Um, and I understand, all right, 
the first game, Carl didn't play more than 30 seconds on the penalty kill, which I, you know, Carl had a pretty bad game in, in game one, but he did he bounce sure did. back in, in game two. Um, so I don't know if he was dealing with something or, or what, but, you know, Bork stepped up. He and he and Nieto were actually the good penalty killers in game one. So, yeah, okay, that's justifiable. Um, I don't know. That's just, it, that's so... I mean, just for that game, it was justifiable in hindsight. I'm not saying going into it, that was a smart thing. Yeah. Carl Uh, hasn't been the same since he got hit in the face by Jack. Yeah, I was going to say, I think, I think, unfortunately, if you're going to scratch someone, I'd scratch Carl, which I I will say it's tough to scratch someone that they actually went out and won a game on the road. We should be generally happy with how the team's doing. But if we have to scratch someone else, Carl really hasn't been good since Eichel took him out. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, he hasn't. Um, you know, and I, but this all, all goes back to the usage that, that Bednar is doing, even though there are vets that are playing poorly, like EJ and Broussard and Carl, um, they're still playing a lot of minutes. Um, you know, Broussard is, yeah, he's, he's not, part of the the top five they don't have a top six anymore there's only five guys that are playing regularly um <clears throat> it's so because it's... they don't have anybody that this is what we complained about all year is they refuse to use others they refuse to get anybody ready for a bigger role so now and, in the playoffs I mean... you're you're basically left with what you have because you have literally nobody else you can use well, I mean that's his fault. I mean it's it's a trust yeah. issue. There there are guys on the team that can play more minutes. I mean benching for all intents and purposes JT Comfer last night. You know it's baffling. <clears throat> I I don't know why you would do it. And you finally give him some minutes and he scores the tying goal that that saved this series. Yep. You know it's like how do you justify that to yourself that I bench this guy and yet here he is winning the game for us practically. After he goes uh, out there on the PK and rocks Mark Giordano, how do you not reward him with more ice time? Right. Um, you know, I, I I don't get that. Like, I, you know, I, I think Jost has been okay. I think he's been a little soft in some situations. Yeah, it's like, you know, I, I don't think he should be playing 15 minutes or anything like that, but he, he doesn't need to be playing six. <clears throat> you know, he can do a lot more for you than... You know, it, it, he's not going to do... Jost isn't going to do anything for you if you play him six. So, that's, you know, why that's that... just it. They've decided to live and die with the guys they trust, which is all of like six guys. And yeah, it's hilarious that Broussard has er- quote unquote earned that trust, even though oh, I mean, he's he has, only been he's on not, the team for. He's in the second tier. He, he's for 22 not, games. He's not he hasn't performed tier. well. He's still. <laughs> no, I'm saying he he's in the second tier more. of usage. He's not. Yeah, he is gets, the thing. In game two, he played 10-39 even strength. That was more than Colin Wilson by five seconds. It was more than Matt Nieto by about 30 seconds. And then below that is Comfort, Jost, and Bork. Like, he's... That's still in the trust tier, though. Is it? And he's done... No. I think the top five guys are the only ones that are in the trust tier. But he's he's in the second tier with, like, Willie and Nieto and Calvert. He definitely Uh, trusts Willie, Nieto, and Calvert, though. Yeah, For real. I mean, Broussard yeah. is seventh in even strength minutes so far, so it is what it is. Yeah, he played a lot less than yeah, four. 
Of course, that might have been because you six minutes in the box. You know, right. after everyone says, you know, they love the Benerses, you get what you earn, and everyone believes in this meritocracy that the organization and the team runs on merit, and then you see that it doesn't matter. If, if a guy's been brought in, if a guy has been labeled a leader, if he's old, then the meritocracy doesn't apply. Well, it's a meritocracy... You know, your merit is earning Jared Bednar's trust, and that's where it breaks down. Um, He's a loyal guy to a fault. He is, and it's like, all right, like he has a really love-hate relationship with Wilson. Like, I thought Wilson had a, a pretty good game in game one, but he was just drastically awful last night. And it's like that's that's sort of Willie in a nutshell because he'll play great game, bad game, bad game, bad game, good game, good game. You know, it's like you never know what you're going to get with Wilson. And when he does have a good game, you do want to play him a lot because he's very effective. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, you you just I, I I don't get his usage, and that's that's why we get these sort of non lines. You know, you get five guys that are playing most of the forward time, and then. The rest of the guys are just sort of in there. I mean, you have uh, like <clears throat> Calvert's usage has baffled me. Like Calvert played ten minutes in the first game, and I'm looking at that like this is exactly the kind of guy that you get for playoffs, you know? And, and you just you don't even use him. I think he, was, <laughs> so, he, he might have been one of the ones on Bender's passenger list from game one. No, I think he just forgot he had him. Oh, he did play close <laughs> to five minutes on the penalty kill in game two. Like, okay, close to yeah. five minutes. He played four minutes on the penalty kill in game two. So that, no, I, I someone, think he gets someone asked him about it. it. Someone asked him about it after game one, and he's like, yeah, it's just... About Calvert? I just totally... Yeah. I think it was about Joe's. Yeah, but he's talking about the guys on the fourth line that didn't play much. Mm. And, you know, at that point, the fourth line was supposed to be Joe's, Calvert, and Bork. And he's like, yeah, you know, just, you know, the other end of the bench, just forgot about it. <laughs> well, I, I looked at that game period by period in their ice time because I was trying to figure out who he was referring to as the passengers. And they were at yeah. least, like, Jost was at least consistent period by period. So you would say he wasn't the one in the doghouse. I think it was, I think Carl was definitely one. Yeah. And I think Calvert played less than each period. But like you said, he was supposed to be on the fourth line anyway, so that one's a little tough to figure out. Right. Yeah. I'll give an honorary scratch to whoever's in charge of this power play. And I'll give an honorary (laughs) star to Philip Grubauer because he made a couple of saves in overtime that were absolutely outstanding. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Like If if we're going to give game-saving stars to, to players for, you know, what they what they do here there we're going to give one to, to Grubauer as well at least give him the honorable mention because he deserves it for sure so after all that the series is tied one to one just like we all predicted so well done us <laughs> the winner of the series faces the winner of San Jose and Vegas series which is also one one as of this recording though they do play at good god o'clock Eastern tonight Elsewhere around the Central, St. Louis had a 2 to nothing lead over Winnipeg when we recorded this. They play later this evening in St. Louis. And Nashville and Dallas are also split 1-1. to Out east, it's a 2 to nothing series. How done does Winnipeg look? Oh, they, I haven't watched a minute of that series, and I don't plan to. Yeah, I wouldn't either, but it's just... Uh, they just don't sound like they showed up. 
That's a scum-on-scum series, and they can just beat each other to death. I don't give a shit. I just, I, you know, the thought of the Blues moving on, I, I would much rather see Winnipeg moving on, even if they've been terrible. So out East, it's a 2 to nothing series between Tampa and Columbus, just like everyone thought. Mm-hmm. Except it's Columbus, who's ahead somehow. <laughs> the Islanders hold a commanding 3 to nothing lead over the Penguins after their game this afternoon. Washington are up 2 to nothing on the Hurricanes, and Boston and Toronto are split 1-1. to And the Leafs are about to lose Nazem Kadri to suspension for a while. Have you been watching the other series? Not much. I've caught a little bit of the the Penguins game today, the Penguins Islanders. Um, I just sort of the way I felt going into the series, I I I I didn't think the the Penguins defensive core was up to the task of beating on the Islanders, and I thought the Islanders were going to smoke everybody with sort of the trots effect. Sure seems that's, to that's be pretty... what's happening. Yeah, um, you know it's like I, you know I wasn't really play, paying a lot of attention to it today, but it's like I looked up and Jack Johnson was taking a penalty on the penalty kill, and I'm just like, hey, that's why you get Jack Johnson, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that that looks like that looks like the series that's that's probably headed for the quickest conclusion to me. Since Colorado are actually in the playoffs, I have watched a lot less of the other yeah, series exactly. than usual. Like, it, I watched a lot on day one, and after that, like I've, I've kept an eye on the Vegas and San Jose series because there's a lot of bl- bad blood there, and there's also a lot of talent in that series, so it's really interesting to watch what happens. Um, well, plus, that's that's who we're going to end up playing when we beat the Flames. Honestly, <laughs> I, I would this would still be the series I had the most interest in if it was in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. Well, I like Vegas, so... If I have a chance to watch Vegas, I'll watch them. But yeah, for me too, it's there's been a lot going on. Watching McCars games, watching Eagles, the Avs, everything. I do hope to watch some maybe later this week. But I'm not watching the Central Division. I do not care. Nope. I like Vegas. Um, you know, obviously the Tampa Columbus one's interesting, especially to see. Uh, See if they can pull it out. That's probably the most yeah. interesting series, I think, just from the storyline, from how dominant Tampa's been, how Columbus loaded up as their last hurrah. You got Duchesne there, and the whole thing. I, I think that's I, the series so far. Yeah, I really like that series because we were all kind of like, yeah, you know, it's like the President's Trophy winners are always the the one that gets punted early, and but. Not with this time. I mean, nah. <laughs> yeah, they got this. <laughs> and I like Carolina. Just they've always played on the game on the days that the Abs are playing. So. Yeah, I'd I'd like to catch some of their games now that you know it's the schedule for me is not going to be as crowded either. Well, I mean, Carolina chose to not do their storm surge in the playoffs, and they haven't been good ever since they made that decision. So karma. Yeah, you decided too bad. to I... stop having fun, and so no one gets any fun at all. It's a lot for them to try to knock off the defending champs, too. So it's yeah, it's one of those experience series for them. Yeah, Washington's good. And yeah. And this is their first time in the playoffs in, what, like six years? Something like that? It's been a minute. I think even longer than that. <laughs> <laughs> I think they had the longest drought, or one of the longest, so now it's Buffalo. 
I don't yeah. think they'll be an easy out by any means. I don't think that Washington are about to sweep that one, but you'd like to see uh like like to see them have some fun. Well, I picked them in the conference final, so I yeah. I hope they kind of pick it up. <laughs> and then I mean it's Kadri's not the only suspension out there. You've got Tampa losing a forward for a game as well, and the name has escaped my brain. <laughs> Kucherov. Yeah. I couldn't remember which one it was. It was Kucherov. Really? I thought you were kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it was oh. It was a, a lightning forward decides I'm just going to see this guy who's on his knees near the boards. I'm going to check his head right into the boards. That sounds like the thing to do. It wasn't the thing yeah, to do. Yeah, it's... It's tough because he's obviously the the league's leading scorer by about four hundred points, <laughs> and it it know. is one game though. I think maybe sometimes when a team loses a big piece, it's kind of a wake up call to everybody yeah. get and your that, shit together and play a team game. Yeah, and yeah, it's one game, so say. it's and John Cooper said after that loss, the second loss, that you know this is five alarm fire time, and. You know, I mean, they're they're gonna have to get together as a team and, and figure out how to beat Columbus because you know they know Ports how to beat smart. Columbus. They were up three yeah. nothing in the first period of game one, and everyone was like, "Oh, well, this is gonna be a sweep." They still might be right. Yeah, um, I just you know, I mean, Torts is a smart coach. He's good at adjustments. The you know, they're the the Jackets are a grindy team, and they have some skill now with trading away their entire future for right now. So, you know, it's it's not going to be easy. Um, but, but there is the talent there in, in Tampa to overcome this. Yep, definitely. And then, of course, that's at least at least Kucherov's suspension is for a hit-like play. Kadri's yep. got an in-person, suspend, or in-person hearing for cross-checking a dude in the head for, for no real reason. Other than the game yeah. is totally out of control. Yeah, retaliation. I know he didn't like some of the hits that DeBrusque has been throwing around that series, but I I can't I can't do like the whole Leafs. I just I'm not sure if I can handle getting into <laughs> that cesspool. So I think I'm going to stay more from afar. But we'll see how the coming week comes. But yeah, he's he's with an in person hearing. He's expecting to. Probably not play the rest of the series. Yeah. I mean, yeah it's I mean, like DGB, John Goes Brown had to say on this one, is it's the Nazem Kadri hat trick. You score a goal, you take a hit that's an obvious penalty that doesn't get called, and then you do something that gets you suspended and called out by Don Cherry. <laughs> <laughs> and he has a history of headshots, so that doesn't yeah. help either. Yeah. And it, it's tough, because I, I think he is probably fairly unique on... Toronto's roster, and you meaning he's the only one that's not soft. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, it's he's you know he plays with a different mindset than most guys on that team. I, I you know I yeah the, the Leafs are soft, but I mean I, I think that's a little overblown. But you know he's an agitator, and, and that's that's really something that's that's unique on that team. So let's let's get a little bit farther away from my expertise here. Let's hear about the Eagles making the playoffs because I hear there's some drama involved. Yeah, this was kind of nutty. Um, going into the weekend, they had a one point lead on the Tucson Roadrunners, who are the farm club of the Arizona 
<clears throat> our good friends who we eliminated. <laughs> um, so we were playing San Jose up in Loveland and the San Diego Gulls were playing the Roadrunners in Tucson. And basically what, what needed to happen was Tucson losing both. Then the Eagles wouldn't need to win any or they just needed to stay ahead of them on Friday night. Tucson won. the Eagles lost. So it, it looked pretty dire. It, it looks like from some video that the overtime goal that won the game for Tucson actually occurred after time had expired and i don't know why they didn't review that but i know in the ahl their review capabilities are more limited yeah i i i'm not sure if anything behind the scenes went down to make sure that that maybe san diego had a little bit of an advantage yesterday or not um but uh they they had a good after game interview with Dallas Eakins, the the San Diego coach, and and he actually made it clear that you know he he sort of wanted to do right by Colorado and make sure that they won this game. Because uh. basically, <laughs> by, by Colorado losing on Friday night, that the Gulls were actually clinching a, a playoff spot with a loss. So he'd, um, he'd probably rather see Colorado. Yeah, it's down um, the line, but exactly. Sure, it was nice to say it's. It's it, it the Eagles making the playoffs is really conflicting because for for many different reasons it, the back and forth this last, this last month has been crazy and then especially when they couldn't take care of business and you're hoping for a loss and they get it they get in by one point and then also how they've done it is they just completely gave up development. Well, until last night, you know, it's like they finally sit some guys who probably shouldn't have been playing and they put Nick Henry back in who had been scratched on Friday night. And then they put Bowers on the fourth line, put Cout on the third line, like... Yeah. That's... That's me... (laughs) That's reducing the youth even more. But, as it turns out, like, Bowers and, and Henry and Cody Bass, who, like, you know, he is not Kale Kessie, he's not even Max McCormick. I mean, Cody Bass, yeah, he's a face puncher, but he's an actual like former NHL player that has, you know, he can play that role well and, and can help those guys. <clears throat> I, but like, basically I'm fine, the, I'm fine with him being the mentor on that line. If that's the way it is. And that line was very good last night. And, you know, they ended up winning a game and, you know, in, in large part to sort of, Deplugging some of their lineup. So, how do you score a goal after time has expired? How does that happen? Because the, well, the clock didn't doesn't start. start. <laughs> <laughs> there was like five seconds left. The clock didn't start. Then it did start, and then they scored. Well then. So yeah. <laughs> so it's, so. It, it's something that like it like so many people caught it that I'm sure the. You know, the AHL was kind of shitting nickels on it. That you know, if, if you ended up with Tucson in the playoffs because of something like that, I mean, for you know, especially when you're eliminating the the brand new franchise in the league and stuff like that, and the, the Eagles well, have the never broadcast... missed the playoffs in 15 years. I mean, it's just there's so many reasons why it was kind of big. 
the broadcasts are never right. I remember that one game we were watching, and it was like it looked like there were twenty seconds left, and you had an offensive zone face off. And you know how it is. You're down one goal, you have an offensive zone face off, you pull the goalie, you know, it's like tense moment, right? Yeah. And it turned out there was like two seconds left. <laughs> so well, then like right. two seconds tick off the clock and everyone stops and we're all watching like, <gasps> you know, this is the thing, and it's like, oh, it's over. Oh. The clock Well the the thing is the with that and like behind. Yeah, well the, the the clock that goes out on AHL TV is not it's not the the actual right. clock. It's it's always wrong. <clears throat> so if that's what people are going by, then maybe this was a, a legitimate goal and, and nothing was really bad about it. But I, I think the fact that you know, like the the goals were not happy about it. But I think yeah, the goals even knew. tweeted that it was an issue. But then I, it would <clears throat> seem like that would be something that you would care about that the league would want to make sure was correct. So I don't know why it was just like oh haha whatever. So. Well, I, I'm not sure they caught it right away. I mean, I, you know. <laughs> yeah, the AHL, they kind of. They do. don't, I mean, a, the AHL doesn't have like a situation room like in Toronto. They don't have <laughs> offsite officiating. Um, the, right. There, there so... isn't a group of officials in Springfield, Massachusetts that watch every game and, and help out with the calls. It's like all calls are made on site. All sales are final. Exactly. But, but just back back to the team, it's they sold out to play bets. They got rid of everybody, marginalized the youth. They didn't develop anybody this year. And good job. They made the playoffs for the first time in nearly ten years. So cool. Yeah, good for them. But I, I think it's nice that the Avs finally get, you know, this is the <clears throat> You know, th- this is sort of unique in that all three Avalanche teams are going to be playing at the same time in the postseason. Which they'll think that means that they've done their job as an or- as an organization. <laughs> the the one topic we've been very carefully dodging for this past hour, the Avalanche go into Game Three with a shiny new toy, and that's Kale McCarr. I watched zero minutes of the Frozen Four, so I'll let someone who did tell you what happened there. Someone who did? Yeah, we did. Uh, we both watched the first game against Denver, and um, it was it was a, a close game, I'd say. Uh, there were a lot of penalties. Three, three players were kicked out and given five-minute majors, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but that's NCAA hockey. And so UMass converted on... On those power plays, got a three to one lead, and then let it go in the third period. It was tied. They won in overtime, and um, McCarr had an assist on the power play in that game. And it was two similar teams that use speed, and so I it, it was a good match for him. But I think he did well. And I did not see the national championship game, but it was against. The defending champions, Minnesota Duluth, who are a big, heavy, older, experienced team. And I think that's where UMass finally ran up against a wall. They really weren't expected to beat them, I don't think. So yeah. it's just, it's, it's kind of is what it is there. I watched a period of that game, and, you know, it, 
the the NCHC and the Big Ten are a lot of older teams, and you know it's like Duluth's team is all like twenty three and twenty four year olds. They all have guys that are in the USHL for a couple of years before playing there. Um, they're very experienced. They're bigger, and and that wasn't a big problem for Macar. It, it was more everybody else on the team because they have a ton of freshmen at UMass and a lot of sophomores as well. <clears throat> and they're not a big team, and you know they they just they didn't do well against that really heavy style. Um, I, I think, <clears throat> I don't know if the first period ended like this, but at one point shots were 11 to two. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it was just a bad matchup for UMass and it's, you know, for the, for the guys that are going to stay at UMass, it was probably a good opponent for them to, to sort of uh, play against and, and sort of see, even though they were really, really good inside of hockey East, which is all more of sort of the pro style and, and younger teams um, that, that when you play against the Western teams that are older kids and play more of a, a college low offense, low event style that, you know, you can get shut down by that. And it seemed like he was handling the physicality fine. He's taking big hits. He delivered a couple big hits. Yeah. People are so worried about him stepping in to the playoffs into this series with Calgary. It's like, it's not like he hasn't been targeted, run at, hit, hauled down. Yeah. I mean, basically every team you play is going to be like, well, we got to stop that kid somehow. And so that's what he's been dealing with all year. And he takes it fine and then dishes it out twice. Yeah, I've seen plenty of clips of him dishing it out. Yeah. Um, so then, and you can you can run the narrative either way. Like if he wins that game, then it's, yeah, all right, we're bringing in a national goddamn champion. This is an obvious proven winner. Um, but I'm going to run with the other narrative because he lost, which is that, Maybe he comes out of the game with a little bit of unfinished business, and he uses that to motivate him into his professional career. Um, I mean, he's such an even kid and a smart kid that I, I think you could put him in just about any situation, and he's going to react just fine. Yeah. Um, After the game last night, he did the post-game press conference, still wearing his jersey. You know, you know this whole you know I don't want to take it off thing. His whole team was around <laughs> him when he signed his ELC this morning. Um, like this is an obvious like this this is a team guy who's loved his time at university, and uh, hopefully he can uh, have that same sort of experience here in Denver. We should probably see him in Game Three. I would imagine. It seems like this has been so. the plan. I mean, they've been talking about it for like two or three weeks now. About on, even on a national level, that McCarr could play for the Avs in the playoffs. So even though it is probably such a jarring transition to go from playing your last game in college, it, it's not something that was unexpected that he's not prepared for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's really been preparing himself for two years for doing exactly this. So I, I you know. I, I think the preparation is going to be more difficult for the avalanche and i.e. the coaching staff use of him without having him, you know, in practices for several weeks and yada, yada, yada. It's their inexperience with him and, and sort of how to weave him into what the abs are doing right now is going to be the difficult point. Let's talk about that. But first, let's get the boring stuff out of the way. Um, he's 20. So by playing a single game, his ELC will not slide. Um, Correct. When just comes, by signing, yeah, his ELC will not. Yeah, but yeah. yes, basically. Um, and then uh, there's, you know, reporters know for sure 
that he either is or is not going to need to be protected in the, in the Seattle expansion draft. And everyone is equally sure of their answer. Nobody knows anything. Well, I mean, he will have to. The The ones that are citing the information that he has to be protected follows the the information that the waiver rule, which would mean that he would need to be protected. It's pretty much bordering on hope that he's not going to need to be protected. So just assume he will if he plays. But this is kind of the bed they made. And you're going to bring in a talent like him and the season he's had, and you're just going to do it. So what should we expect then from Makar in the first round here? I think probably the smart way to go, and since the Avs are totally conservative about everything, is to go with seven defensemen on Monday if they do in- indeed plan to debut him then. Um, you know, they're obviously, they're, they're not using Jost, they're not using Bork. Those two are candidates to sit. Um, so I, I don't think losing a forward is going to make any difference to, to what they're doing with those guys i i think that's that's probably a, a good plan as far as integrating him with the defense because then you can put him in a bunch of different situations and and as a coaching staff get a feel for him without having the practices that they need because basically he's going to have morning skate tomorrow morning and that's going to be it um I, you know i'm sure they'll they'll drill him on all the the system stuff and and you know all, all that they can do with video and, and sort of discussion with the coaches today and, and tomorrow, but you know, he won't have a real practice with the team. So using him as a seventh defenseman, uh, they can give him offensive zone time, maybe a little power play two or even one time, depending on how things go. Uh, Lord knows we need some help there. So I, I don't think that, you know, <laughs> I don't. I don't think replacing even Tyson Berry is going to be a downgrade. Like, um, like you've said many, many times, I don't think it's personnel in the power play. Right. <laughs> there is that, but I just, you know, I, I think someone fresh who hasn't been tainted yeah, by Ray Bennett's system all year. Good thing. Right. He might. <laughs> he might be a little more creative than than the fellas that are have been there for two years. Got a tweet from um, AJ if you want to hear it. Um, Gerard is being further evaluated, but is a possibility to play Game Three. Kale McCarr sure is. is also a possibility to play for Game Three. Bender said they need to make sure McCarr is well rested and focused on what's going on here before they play him. That, that's just a BS quote. I think it's just a BS quote. I think so too. And the next but one, he it's... said that McCarr is an elite talent. I, I definitely want to hear exactly how he said Gerard's possible, but I'll take any positive news at this point so obviously the big the big thing on how McCarr is going to be used hinges on does Gerard play or not so if Gerard doesn't you you just you have to play McCarr you you just there's no choice like you're not going to give him all the minutes Sam gets but no (laughs) (laughs) he's not going to be your number two questionably number one defenseman no but they'd even have to take the training wheels off even a little bit more because you need that puck movement. You need the dynamic ability. You need the skating. You you just have to play them because if you try to get by with just more Nemeth minutes instead of Sam is, is a disaster. So, so, but going back to the more 
fuzzy scenario, let's say Sam is available to play, what do you do with Makar? Then I agree, try to ease him in. I think I think this is going to be something for the staff where they you have to throw out the prospect rule book. You didn't just burn his contract year and make him eligible for the expansion draft to play him seven minutes of even strength time and maybe two on the power play. Like you're, <laughs> and this is something that they don't like to do, but you have to make a leap of faith and you have to bet on talent and you well, have I mean, I to think, let him. I think try. that amount of usage in a first game wouldn't be bad, you know, unless he's just obviously at NHL level within several shifts. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to give him everything, but there's going to have to be some leap of faith there where they're going to have to give him some real minutes to do something. Even if he does obviously belong, that's what his ice time in Game 3 would be because Bednar's not necessarily the the guy who can tell who's going and ride them. He has the guys that he trusts that he's going to ride, and then if you're not going, he may limit you. But he's not going to boost your limits, boost your minutes beyond what was planned. Um, honestly, I feel like even if you pretend that Bork is Sven, I, I really think that the Avalanche best lineup is with seven defenders. So if you go for 7D with Makar, I don't think it's that bad. Um, yeah, no, I I feel like that might be a reason why Bork has been playing so little. It's just, it's going to be easy to pull him out and play seven defense. Because I also agree, I don't think he's going to scratch Nemes. If you want, they need him for the penalty kill. Um, like, if you're going to make an argument that somebody's valuable on the penalty kill... I would say well, Nimeth is. Nimeth has If you make that bad. argument, then it's pretty easy to say that they're going to scratch Jost instead of Bork. I I don't know about that. They have done everything this year. Except play him. To... They haven't <laughs> scratched him, though. They've never scratched yeah. him. They've done everything they possibly can I know. to try they, to but, I mean, Jost. By usage, Jost is the most useless guy on the forward court right now. No, Bork is. There's just no way. There's no way. No, that I mean, he kill, Bork kills penalties. Oh, I mean, like what? You can, anybody can kill penalties. Dries kill penalties. Agazino killed penalties. I think like we anybody. both know that's not how they think about penalty yeah. killers. <laughs> Earl's not making a statement about talent here. He's about how the coaching staff sees and uses the player. They didn't play yeah. Bork for like a month. I I, I know. I keep, Going back to but, that, like, if you want to say that they just, they find the three minutes he provides so valuable, I just, I don't buy that when they decided to stop playing him for three months. Well, then like, why did they put him in instead of Sven? I mean, if, you because know, if anyone can preparing penalty kill. <laughs> so they could play seven defensemen and put Makar in. You can do that with Ender Ghetto. You, you could have done it with Graves, even. You could have. Um, but, I mean, especially if, if Sam Gerard come, is in the lineup dinged up, like maybe he's playing 70, 80%, then that's even better because you have that seventh D to help, you know, sure. take, take the, the, the cushion of those minutes without distributing them to the people like Ian Cole and Eric Johnson, who you really don't want to overplay. And that's one thing I, I, I've been meaning to touch on this whole show is Ian Cole really isn't playing much. And I think that's actually a bad thing. I think I don't, you know, I don't want to see him playing like 20, 25 minutes, but he's playing like 15 and, um, that's a little weird. Be to set up to put Makar with him. I think. Well, I mean, you're not going to hurt your team by not playing. No. <laughs> I mean, he's. I mean, he's he's really not playing much, and and it it's not just the first two games of the series. Like you know, down the stretch, he was not playing much. Now, obviously, he had been injured. But um, I think they finally figured it out. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Cole has been fine, and I think if you give him a whole lot more minutes, he has a lot more of an opportunity to not be fine anymore. Um, but, that, I mean, I wouldn't pull out Nemeth either, like we mentioned. They're not going to scratch Nemeth. I wouldn't scratch Nemeth. He's been good in the series. He really has, yeah. Yeah, he's he's consistent. He There's certainly a limit. the worst defender, it's, you know, it's EJ. <laughs> well, that's not going to happen. It's true. Right. No, I'm just saying, EJ. like, if you're looking for guys like, oh, you know, let's scratch this dude. I mean, it's like, you know, like Cole and Nemeth have done fine in the bottom pairing role. And it's like Z has been iffy at times, but generally good. Barry's He's... been okay. But, like, um, we were worried that they would take Zadorov out for Makar. Like, he was probably the one on the defense. If anybody was getting scratched, it would probably be him. But he he's played a decent I mean, number of minutes. I mean, he's and, second in time on ice for yeah, defensemen, so he's not going anywhere. Exactly. So it certainly doesn't seem like he's on the table for a scratch, which is good because I think they need him. They, they need do. the type of player he is. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the most likely thing here, especially if Sam can go, is that they go 7D, and I, like, I honestly think that, that may be their best lineup construction. Um, but yeah, I mean, I for, again for a conservative coaching staff, like bringing in a guy that's never practiced with you. I mean, you kind of want that redundancy a little bit, but also just because of where the talent on the team lies. Um, so for y'all have watched a lot of Kale McCarr this year and last, but for for people who maybe haven't, tell us what kind of defender we're we're looking at bringing in here. If you are putting together the altitude highlight pack for his debut on in game three, what goes into that highlight pack? Well, first of all, he's not Tyson Berry. Um, and I, I think that's, you know, we've said this a lot on the program, but you know, if you're, if you're just tuning in for the first time, um, he's not an offensive defenseman in the sense that, you know, he's all go and can't play in his own zone. He's, you know, he's physical, he's competent defensively, defends well, one-on-one as well as, you know, in areas he's responsible and all that. Um, you know, he's what you see as a number one defender. He can, play a 200 foot game he's very good offensively he's good in the defensive zone too so um you know they can use him in a lot of situations obviously you know his his offense gets a lot more recognition and it should just you know he's got 49 points this year which is insane for a defenseman in the ncaa I, th- I think that's a smart place to begin developing him at the NHL level is by giving him a lot of offensive situations because he can both help the team and learn playing in the NHL at the same time. But, you know, I, I don't think he's going to struggle massively in his own zone. The the best way I would describe, and first of all, I don't think we even mentioned he won the Hobie Baker. I think we forgot to mention he won the that Hobie entirely. Baker. I if anybody that didn't in the headline know, section. Yeah. But, oh, okay. Well, there's not much to discuss gonna... there. They they hand out the trophy. Oh, you want right. it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. We just want to make sure we touched on that. But anyway, yeah. if I was gonna say anybody that hasn't seen McCarr play, he's McKinnon as a defenseman. And I know that sounds crazy, but when you watch him play, especially if you see him live, that's who he reminds you of. He has the same type of skating and the same quality of skating McKinnon has. He's explosive, especially laterally. He can make those moves at the blue line that McKinnon can with his lateral movements. He's he's a shooter as well, so he's going to be a volume shooter. There's so much that remind, is reminiscent of McKinnon and the way he attacks the game, the way that he, he's aggressive. 
He's physical like McKinnon can be. Like McKinnon can can throw a big hit here or there. He can get dirty on the boards. Um, McCarr can do that. So if you were going to see like a highlight package of him, you would see breakaways. You would see hits. You would see, and he's a great passer. I think he also what he doesn't get maybe as much credit for is his intelligence, his vision, his his smarts, and and that part of the game. And so, um, and he can create breakaways. Like he's just not cherry picking and waiting for the puck. Like he he'll strip a guy, and he can get a breakaway just by stripping someone because he has such a quick first step in that explosive power in his skating. And I think that's the one thing that if you're going to game three and you're going to see him play or see him on TV, it's just the skating is going to jump out at you first. And he's an elite tier skater. It's certainly not over-exaggeration whatsoever to say that. I love that report. Thank you. That was super. Very thorough and very uh, graphic. <laughs> Coming up this week, Colorado get their home games on Monday, 8 o'clock Mountain on Altitude CBC and CNBC, as well as TVA 2. Then on Wednesday, it's game 4, 8 o'clock Mountain again. This one's on Altitude CBC, TVA, and NBC Sports. On Friday, they're back in Calgary for game 5. We'll be back at you before any games past that. Time and TV to be determined. What do Colorado need to do to come out of this week with more wins than losses? And if I think you just say, play like they did last night. I was going to say, if you say solve Mike Smith, you're like banned from the show. <laughs> like, they need to score no, goals. I, I, okay. Score on the power I, play. <laughs> that ain't happening. Um, I, no, I, I, you know, I hated the game plan in game one. And I think the, the coaching staff, um, you know, they, they they came back with a really good game plan with mixing up the lines and being very aggressive at the start. And that's that's exactly what they need to do. I think they need to take control of the game right away because if, if they play their usual passive reactive game, I, I think that, that opens the door for Calgary to, to take control themselves. And it's like Calgary really hasn't taken control of a game yet. So you really don't want to let them do that at any point until you have, you know, a, at least a, a 3-1 lead in the series. Sure, like the Avs need to come out and try to be aggressive. And I know that they say that every single game, but they really have to because Calgary's the one that lost at home. So they're the ones that are going that are feeling a little bit more pressure. But the Avs have to come out and they have to play well at home now. You're not in trouble till you lose a home. Shout yep. out, shout out yeah. to Calgary. Shout out to Tampa, who've done it twice. Um, <laughs> so if if it's obvious that the Avalanche aren't going to win the, the special teams battle, I think that they absolutely cannot take penalties. If you take dumb penalties, like like the stupid tax to Matt Kachuk penalties, if you board somebody when you didn't need to, if you take the obvious penalties, like putting the puck over the glass or high-sticking somebody, that's how you lose the game. Well, they also need yeah. to score five on five. I mean, that's a complete duh. But so the overtime goal was basically the only five on five goal they scored. Not basically, it yeah. was the only five on five goal. They <laughs> <scored>. Yep, <laughs> it was. <laughs> they have a shorthanded goal, an empty net 
you know, a six on five goal yeah. and a five on five goal. So, the, so, so then um, the key question here is how do they do that? If they're not scoring on even strength, how do they score at even strength? I, I mean, I, I think that they've been getting so many rush chances. And again, I'll, I'll reference my favorite website other than Burgundy Rainbow. <laughs> the point um, is that they've been dominating rush chances. They've been getting a ton of them. And it's just, uh, I think rush chances are a lot of luck. And they just haven't had the shooting luck on those. I don't think it was Mike Smith being really all, all that awesome. I, you know, I think McKinnon breaking through with that is really, you know, that might knock him down a notch that that, that would help. But I, I think that they can honestly start putting some pucks in the net on these rush chances and start scoring some five-on-five five points. So the key to me is between, you know, hitting the net on your rush chances, which is number one, shoot. Yeah. The, the guy in 352 yeah. is apoplectic at players like Carl Soderberg right now who are coming in two-on-one and just kind of the puck dies. Um, well, in rebounds, it's you got to score dirty goals in the playoffs. Yeah, that's where It'd I'm going nice with this. It'd be nice to snipe everything, but, but right, if you're going to get rush they, chances, they, you're going to get first opportunities. You, you have to. No, like, that's what they've been trying the whole time. I just don't think that's yeah. working. I mean, no, they, that's not what they've been trying. They've been trying to put it in the corner. Like, we got to get off some <laughs> shots off the pad here. Well, I think the only shots that they're getting close into the net are, are sort of those perimeter shots and then rebound, you know, pig pile on the rabbit kind of stuff. Right. The, the and, rebound part has been what's what's kind of missing from those perimeter yeah. chances. Like, the ads aren't there for the, the, the rebounds. So, and you're not going to be. And obviously, you're facing a, a defense in Calgary that's pretty good. Um, so, you can't, yeah. you can't just expect the avalanche to, oh, well, we're just going to do this now instead. But what they need to spend more time doing you know, focusing on is less of this up and down up on the around the side, and let's let's see some play in the slot. Yeah, I mean, I I think what they really need to do is start getting some some seam passes through or some shot passes off of Smith's pads. Um, you know, it, they they need to be able to get some weak side goals. Uh, that's that's going to be the key to them scoring a lot at five on five. They need the holding goal. Yeah. So. If, if this 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 high low thing is not working and it's not going to work, Calgary's going to block your shot. And if Mike Smith sees it, he's he's going to have it. it. It's where yeah. he's not good, where where his you know age and badness is exposed is when you get get him moving side to side, go across, put it off of him, make him have to do something other than catch it. Yeah. Then also need scoring from defensemen. That that makes a huge difference that the Avs can get any contribution there. Which well, that's a good thing that McCarr signed then, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we could get a goal or a, something like that from McCarr, that's that'd be huge. But everyone else, like if whenever they can get a, go- a goal five on five from Barry or even Zadorov, that makes a big difference. Even a point from Barry would be nice. They might score. <laughs> Like, like Tyson Berry was so huge in the Avs' run to make the playoffs at the end of the season, and then he's not even got a secondary assist in two playoff games. We'd really like to see. Like, he hasn't been, like, bad. He hasn't been a scratch, but he's – well, I mean, he wasn't great in game one, but he hasn't been hurting the team so much, but we would really like to see some points come from Tyson Berry soon. Um, yeah. That's kind of what you're talking about scoring from defenders. It's Tyson Berry, so – yeah, he's not. I mean, he's he's generated a lot of of you know 
individual Corsi attempts and stuff like that. So, I mean, he's he should be close. Um, he's definitely pinching up. He's he's activating at least. Yeah, I mean, he has one fewer Corsi attempt than the McKinnon does individually. So, how many of them are actually on target? Uh, not a large percentage. No, it's it'd be four fifteenths, whatever that is. I can't do that math. Oh, okay. So it's, <laughs> it's, less, so it's than, four. less than a quarter. It, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's four out of fifteen. That's the answer. Yeah. Um, and it, all right, but check this out. All right, you know how bad EJ is. He has twelve individual Corsi four and eight shots on goal. So <laughs> he's actually better than Mac. <laughs> that doesn't sound correct at all. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) So maybe EJ should shoot more. I don't know. Um, If you can get it on target, then 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 sure. Yeah, go for it. Do what you want. So, uh, it's also. I mean, we we talked a lot about how awesome the McKinnon line was in especially game two, but in both games they've they've pretty much neutralized Calgary's top line. So you've got to imagine that with. With the home matchup, Bednar will will can just continue to allow that to happen. I, I he can't be too upset with with the result. Here's a question: Are they going to put the three headed monster back together and then put Carl and friends back together and then the frat line back together next game? I mean, they've I already did that a little bit. I'd be I surprised know. if they didn't do that at some point. We've already, <clears throat> we've already seen those lines come back out and with with predictable results, like to where they yeah. they control play pretty well, but don't get a whole lot going with it. And actually, like, like Mac and Landy with Kerfoot were a lot better than Mac and Landy with Miko yesterday. Um, and I know there's situations involved with that that you can't, you know, you don't really want to compare them side by side. But it's, you know, I, I think Kerfoot with Landy and Mac are actually good and something that they don't need to mess with. Yeah, you know, you know, I'm that's... fine with putting Miko there occasionally, you know, when you really need a goal or something like that. But, um. That's you know, I, I, I think Meek. Yeah. Can we talk about I don't, Kerfoot? I did. I love Kerfoot, so I can talk about Kerfoot. Because I feel like he's been playing a little bit of a different game in in these playoffs than he did in the regular season. I feel like he's playing a, a little bit of a grimier game. Yeah, I I think he's really good. I I you know. I I think he, people sell him short constantly. I I mean I think he's a really good player. I I think he's very versatile, and I I think he can do a lot more in more areas of the ice than people give him credit for. And I, I think we're starting to see some of that during the playoffs. Well, he, he spent a lot, especially the second half of the regular season, you know, trying to be the, the, the player that makes that the pass that makes the goal, you know? Um, yeah. And, and it's not necessarily that he's even been shooting so much in this postseason. It's that he's been playing without the puck in a different way. It, it's yeah. that he's been, you know, he, he's been one of the first players into those scrums to try to, you know, get a glove in somebody's face, and that's not usually Kerfoot's game. And I want to. I think it's for that. I think it's good for him to show that he can play on like on the top line, and maybe he's not what makes it go, but that he can complement a top player like McKinnon and Landeskog, and not be like the third wheel. Yeah, which frees up Nico to play on a different line. It does, and it yeah, also well, gives him a good opportunity to play with Artemi Panarin next year. But you didn't hear that from me. 
<laughs> one one thing I've been impressed with, and this is you know this goes for kind of down the stretch as well as the the first two games, is his puck retrieval skills in the offensive zone are a lot better. Um, it's it's not something that he did a lot of, you know, especially in the in the old frat line days, because um, he was generally the guy handling the puck all the time. <clears throat> um, but he's been more of a puck retriever behind the net, sometimes in front of the net kind of guy, and I think. I think he's learned that role and he's, he's starting to, to actually become fairly good at it. So shout out to Kerfoot and uh, shout out to the frat line, which hopefully continues to not be returned to because we did see, yeah. we did see it for a shift or two and it was right back to its battle ways. Cause I mean, Kerfoot is, is continuing to try to dish for Jost and Comfer, neither of which are particularly dangerous shooters. No, that's why that line doesn't work. And if Joe's decided to, to pull himself together as a, the player who can dish himself, now we're talking. Yeah. Just wish he's not setting up Bork, you know. Yeah, that, well, I mean, that I, beautiful I, I, feed in the to a wide open in the low slot, Gabriel Bork. I mean, I think as soon as they took Calvert off of his line and put Comfort there instead and made it the doghouse line, I, I just, you know... I, I think that, that Jost and Calvert have really developed some chemistry together that, that's worked very well and makes that a real line. Um, you know, and if you don't want to make it a real line, then then I guess it doesn't matter. But, you know, you're, you're basically throwing away three guys worth of talent, or at least two with, with Comfer and Jost. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of words on what we feel like the Avalanche need to do to come out with at least two wins out of these three games. Do you think it happens? Prediction time. I do. I think they split. Well, I mean, there's three games. You can't games. split three games. <laughs> oh, we're going three? Oh, yeah, we're one, game five as well. Monday, Wednesday, and then back on the road Friday. Uh, you think they split the home games? Yeah. So then it comes down to who wins game five. Do Colorado come back in game six with their backs against the wall, or do they have the chance to clinch it at home? Probably fighting for the life game six. I know I'm I'm the big poo poo that picked them to lose in our stab prediction, so I'll just I'll keep being the negative one. Well, let me put it this way: I picked them to win in seven, not logically. (laughs) (laughs) That this was a I'm gonna put this into the universe, and hopefully we're gonna be right because I don't want to pick the abs to lose. And it, it's a more even series than a one eight should be, so I'll go. I'll pick them to win in seven games. I'm coming into game three feeling a lot more confident than I was going into game one. Sure, when in knowing that you already won one in Calgary is huge. Yeah. So I mean, uh, this has always been a series that Colorado had a, a good chance to take. It, it wasn't like, well, I'm going to pick them to win when I have no faith at all. Like they've always had a chance in this series, but they're coming into game three with a better chance than i thought so i mean i wouldn't i i think i I think it's more likely that they sweep the next three games than than it it is that they end up losing the series i think it's i think the most likely thing here is that they win both of these home games and then lose game five right and i i agree with that i'm just saying i think it's more likely that they would end up winning these three in a row than it is that they end up losing the series overall I don't know about that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a that's an interesting take. 
If they're going to win the series, it's probably going seven. I think they can get it done in six, but I agree that Me it's too. probably more likely seven. But I, Mike I, is smart. He picked them in six, too. You know, so if you think they're sweeping the next three games, you think they're winning this series in five. Yeah, so I'm so, saying that I'm saying that's more likely than it is that they lose. I think they they they'll probably finish it out in six games. This all comes back to my question at the top of the show because Micah's model predicted you know had had the abs by ten percent because of goaltending. And goaltending yeah. has been a big topic in this series, so <laughs> he sure didn't see Mike Smith coming. <laughs> well, it's not that he didn't, it's that the model didn't. And I don't remember what right. this model's name is. The last one I remember is their name was Oscar. I don't remember what this model's name was. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a new one. Yeah. Should be Cindy. Something. <laughs> whatever whatever the, the robot skeleton crab has predicted the abs by 10% from the, from the hop. With a lot of weight on goaltending. And, and Grubauer has been very good. But Mike Smith has also been very good. So, I I really do think Colorado will get two games out of the three this week. Whether it's the two home games or not. Like, like I, you hope it's the two home games, because then they're up 3-1. Um, but, either way, I think they come into game three, into game six with a lead in the series. I don't think they win it in five. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree there. I, I think it, probably the likely thing is if they win both the home games and then, you know, Calgary makes a valiant effort on the road. Then- Here's the thing. I haven't seen anyone win a game in the Pepsi Center this year, which held true last night. <laughs> and I'm going to game six. So I've been warned. So, so you better hope then that you're wrong on this one and they're not up against the wall in game six. <laughs> like, not, not even just for normal reasons, but because you're taking your curse into the can. Yep. And your your curse even works on the Nuggets, which is odd. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking to Vlad before the show. I think he's going to be going to Game Three, so hopefully he doesn't bring any bad juju. Um, but so far that, that looks like we none of us are expecting the Avs to lose three straight, and none of us are expecting the Avs to win three straight. So. The show on Saturday, well, we're going to record it on Saturday, release it Saturday evening after Game 5, before Game 6 on Sunday. We, we'll have more hockey to go at that point. I think we're all at least in agreement that far. Yeah. So, going to go on and on into April, into the April 21st is Game 6. But, whew, we've, uh, we've been going for a minute. What do you say we wrap this thing? Fair enough. Any last observations or predictions um go eagles they start their series uh friday night against bakersfield and it's the ahl it's weird it's a it's a five game series so they do two games for the underdog first and then three games on the road which is bogus because it gives the underdog home ice advantage if they just win one of those games or do they get to choose or it also has to do with the in minor league, the building availability is a huge issue. Right. I, I, so. I, I think that I think the people at the BEC were kind of counting on this one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great because the Eagles are really good at home. So for yeah. them to begin the series and have, and also in the five game series, you're obviously only guaranteed through three games. Yeah. So they could go and have three chances to win on the road. Like you can win one out of three. Right. So if if you don't start at home and you go two on the road and then you, 
and then you come home. You, so basically, you're only guaranteed one home game, which yeah. that's yeah, kind of crazy. Th- this screwed San Antonio the year before they affiliated with the Abs, but um, but they even chose better than it, that. Though. Yeah, it's a yeah. crap system, but I mean, it's it's to save travel, so you don't go two one one one. Exactly, or, but yeah. regardless, the, the Abs will be on the road next weekend. So if you know, if you're not going to sit at home and watch another ten thirty start, then you could go up to the BEC if you can still find tickets, which you probably can, and go watch the Eagles play playoff AHL hockey, and then sort of a unicorn because an Abs affiliate hasn't done that in years. They totally just don't wonder where the team. prospects are. They totally will play at ten thirty on Friday, won't they? Oh God. I'm sure they will. <laughs> Get your naps in. <laughs> After a full week of work and you're really just tired as hell and want to zone out for a while, just go ahead and go all the way to sleep. <laughs> so they haven't announced Game 5 yet? I was going to ask that question. It's not on the Avalanche schedule yet. If it's been announced, I haven't seen it, but I also haven't really looked for it, but it's not on the Avalanche website schedule yet. You can go ahead and refresh it one more time. And no, it still says TBD. Probably yeah, have to depend to... on how many preferred right. teams are left. <laughs> yeah, how, how many how, how many Nashvilles are still playing and how many Winnipegs and St. Louis's are still playing because the bloodier series is going to have precedence. <laughs> well, regardless of what channel Game 5 is on, um, you can catch us after Game 5. We're going to record on Saturday uh, afternoon, I assume. Um, but we don't really haven't really talked about that yet. We should have that show released Saturday night. You can listen to it Sunday before the game, assuming it's not an afternoon Sunday game, which would really be kind of trash for this these teams, um, based on what they've been used to. But NHL's done worse before. Um, but you can catch us between games five and six on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com/BernieRadio. We post every episode to BernieRainbow.com. You can catch us in your iTunes. You can catch us in your Google Play. You can catch us in your podcast machine of choice. Hopefully this is enough words to help you get through your Monday before we get to Game 3 at home, 8 o'clock Mountain, against the Calgary Flames. Hopefully the, the debut of Kale McCarr. Hopefully Sam Girard's not dead. Keep your head up. Get the dirty areas. Don't get hit in the face by Sam Bennett. And we will see you all next week. It was kind of lame. Going to Sobo last night for game two was actually way better. (laughs) That's cool. I would like to go there someday. Where's that? Is that the Czech Uh, place? Yeah. Was Hey Duke there? (laughs) It's it's like a Czech place, but it's an an abs bar too, basically, right? Like that's what it is? Essentially, but it's really the only hockey bar in the city so it attracts fandom from all over the league there were boston fans there last night there was a token Toronto fan there last night i was looking around to see which of the plaid shirts were going to cheer for nashville when they scored (laughs) (laughs) and they have like czech food and all that stuff right (coughs) they have regular food too they do What's not eating. regular about Czech food, Jackie? Yeah. <laughs> Trying to think about if others came with me. <laughs> the other half would not consider Czech food regular. Who wouldn't want a pierogi? <laughs>
Seriously. It's a Anything it's a hamburger with cabbage instead of buns. Yeah, Maybe yeah, that's that massive keep with a cheesesteak. It's the same thing. <laughs>